Welcome to Embrace Your Brain's exciting new series called Embracing the Mature Mind. Join Dr. Dee Coulter as she explores the natural brilliance awaiting us all in the upper decades. Welcome to the podcast. So now we're beginning to do the first and third week of every month as the podcast in an approach to looking at embracing your mature mind. What I want to look at today is something called bookmarks. At least I've been calling them that. And we're going to look first at the ones that seem to be existing in our lives. And then I want to look at how we could actually create them. Because there's research coming out now that is really surprising to me. And it's on my mind. So when it comes to ordinary bookmarks, I probably talked to 1,500 college students over the years when I taught at Naropa. And each time I would take 45 minutes to meet with each of my individual students that semester, just so I could know what their biography was basically and how their mind worked, because we were gonna look at cognitive studies. Maybe halfway through that 20 year period, I began to see patterns that I kept checking out. For instance, people that had moved between the ages of three and four seemed to have an uncanny ability to travel around the world and never get homesick. In fact, they didn't have a sense of a particular location as being a home. So that makes me think there's something about ages three and four where we finally start rooting in a sense of place. They weren't handicapped by that. In fact, they kind of had an asset because they could go anywhere and do anything. And others kind of like to nest somewhere. So another bookmark that really stood out was around six and seven, usually seven, late six if it was a girl. And what was going on then is if something shocking had happened in their life to bookmark it, kind of like moving had done when they were three and four, this time it had a negative impact because At that point, they were just beginning to figure out, okay, I think I got it in this world. If this, then that. So the advent of causal thinking or before and after kind of thinking was kicking in. And nature came along and said, you think you got this figured out? Watch this. And boom, here came a huge crisis. They couldn't have predicted. They didn't understand. And it didn't go away. So what happens for them often is that they make a choice. They either decide, you know, you can't tell what's going to happen, so what the heck, and they were rather spacey. And they could live in the moment and have a great time, but they didn't do future thinking because they didn't think it was real. The other alternative was to get really tight about things and to say, okay, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. And they became very perfectionistic in their thinking. There was never any alternative between the two. It seemed like they were either spacey or really tight. That was a little harder to outgrow or to modify over time. The next big one that I saw, and we're just going to look, well, we'll look at two. One was around nine. Now, nine, I just kind of call it the Daniel Boone age, because no matter whether you're female or male, you want to go out into the world and see what's going on. Sometimes you even want to find your real parents because you can't believe these are your parents. However, if life doesn't let you go out into the world, maybe it's really scary 
where you live, or maybe one of your parents is fearful and doesn't want you to go out there, then you get the feeling that the world is a kind of scary place and your sense of adventure is kind of smothered. If, on the other hand, you're given a lot of freedom to go out and check and you're given the right protections, so it's kind of like a combination of permission and protection. If both are in place, this is fantastic, and now you can go out into the world and you can also stay rooted and dig in to do research and study and mastering of things that are right on your plate. The next one that I noticed, and that's all we're going to look at today on this score, is between 11 and 12. Ideally, that's the brain's turn. Neurologically, it's the brain's turn. However, sometimes adolescence is getting younger and younger. If adolescence kicks in at 11 and 12, there's a whole step in the brain's turn that gets missed because adolescence is much stronger with its biochemical changes than any neural networks could be. So then it impacts the kind of thinking they can do until about age 15 when their brain gets another turn. And they don't do as well in middle school and early high school because their reasoning is still pretty much if this, then that, while the others were able to get complex thinking, formal thinking, and thinking about more than one variable at a time. So those were the bookmarks that happened to us, that mold us in certain ways, and that we kind of work to modify or enhance as we get older. But I'm beginning to see that we're actually able to create bookmarks. And in fact, we do create bookmarks. The way we impact other people, the things we notice about them, may actually be creating bookmarks for them. Most of the time, ideally positive ones. I tend to put little folders on my desktop of ideas that have struck me as fascinating, and they've fallen into bouquets. Here's the one about creating bookmarks. Listen to the titles of the folders I've been using. One says, Impact of Dopamine and Serotonin Roles on the Brain. Another says, Payoff for Reading Can Vary. Another, Rewards versus Punishment as Incentives. Another, Creating a Brain Flow State. And the one that has pulled it together in my mind is the one that says, and it's great research, Learning to Enjoy Cognitive Effort. Well, I love cognitive effort. I'm a scholar. But why do some of us dig into books and just get lost in them? We can spend all day reading research. And someone else would have to push themselves, and they wouldn't have much fun doing it. But they might be able to really master some motor skill that I couldn't push to do. That's what I'm beginning to think is happening because what we're studying now with the brain isn't just cells and regions and what they do, or even just networks, which is a really fairly new discovery, but the biochemical connections that re really create rewards for those networks. So some of the networks in our brains fire and get uh, a treat, get rewarded with neurotransmitters. And maybe someone else's brain doesn't get rewarded when they do that activity. So most of the reason we dive into things, you know how Joseph Campbell would say, follow your bliss. Well, what he's saying is follow the networks that have a reward mechanism hooked up to them. 
That's cool. That means that if we can somehow bookmark for somebody that they're doing a nice job at something, that they have an unusual talent there, we might be bookmarking it in such a way that that network hooks up to a reward mechanism. And from then on, they have learned to enjoy the effort in that activity. It has to do with the rewards getting hooked up with our will, not just our wants. That's an addictive cycle. But when there's something we're willing to put effort into, that for some reason, because of something someone said, because of the payoff in in and of itself, for some reason, doing that gives us a neurotransmitter squirt of reward, that's our bliss. Well, so that's all I want to talk about today. I know I'm going to drill, drill deeper and I'll have more to say down the road. I have been talking to a number of friends that are in the mature years and are finding themselves really quite stressed and chronically so. So I'd like to close with some words from a really wonderful meditation teacher, Sylvia Borstein. Here's what she says to herself when she's feeling wired and frustrated like that. She'll say, sweetheart, you are in pain. Relax. Take a breath. Let's pay attention to what's happening. Then we'll figure out what to do. And when it comes to a meditation practice, she would suggest this. Simply breathing out and breathing back in. So on the in-breath, think, may I meet this moment fully? And on the out-breath, may I meet it as a friend? I'll say those things again so that you can embed them if they're useful to you. Sweetheart, you are in pain. Relax. Take a breath. Let's pay attention to what's happening. Then we'll figure out what to do. On the in-breath, think, may I meet this moment fully? On the out-breath, may I meet it as a friend? Till next time. Thank you. I really hope you'll join me in this important conversation. Please send your comments for sharing to d at embraceyourbrain.com. I look forward to hearing from you.